Hello and welcome back to the Divorce Angel podcast. This is episode 36 and in this episode I'm actually interviewing Alison Shaw. Now Alison is the founder of Shaw Dispute Resolutions. Alison used to be a family lawyer and then moved into mediation and over the next two weeks I've broken my interview down to two podcasts simply because the information in here is this there's so much to be honest and I don't want you to miss anything but the first episode this one that we're about to listen to now is all around what is mediation and the best way to get an outcome from mediation. And then next week, I'm going to break it down even further into the questions you should be asking and what you should be looking for in a really good mediator. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and I look forward to talking to you again next week. Welcome to the Divorce Angel Podcast and thank you for joining us. Get ready to uncover the strategies everyone can implement for successful separation and divorce. This will save you valuable time, money and emotions while learning the secrets to your happy ever after. And now your host, my wife, Tanya Summerton. Well, hello everyone and welcome back to the Divorce Angel podcast. Today I'm here with the amazing Alison Shaw and she owns Shaw Dispute Resolutions. Is that right, Alison? That's right, Shaw Dispute so great to have you here. So we've already previously had a bit of a conversation and I love so much what you stand for in your business. It's just amazing. Can you give us an idea of your history in the family law realm? So I've been a lawyer for about 25 years and the last 15 of those has been specialising in family law. Uh, In 2009, with a couple of uh, close colleagues, we established a boutique family law firm called Barnes Brinsley Shaw in Adelaide, now known as BBS Lawyers. And in about 2013, I retired from that business to set up Shaw Dispute Resolution. Uh, It it was uh, in 2011 that I'd had my light bulb moment in mediation and discovered a completely new way for people to resolve their family law disputes without courts. And so after uh, BBS, I was able to embark upon a new uh, direction and uh, offering mediation to people around Australia. And it was at that time that I started looking around and realised that there were about three and a half thousand nationally accredited mediators around the country and all of them were sticking up their hand saying pick me pick me i can be a good mediator i can help you resolve your dispute but because they were from home offices people didn't know how to find a mediator and a good one at that So I decided to put out an expression of interest around the country to find like-minded mediators that also had a legal background in family law that were able to offer mediation services nationally. So now we have 30 of us around the country doing just that. 30, that's amazing. So you spoke about a light bulb moment when you were actually in your law practice. What was that? That was when I did the uh, national accreditation in mediation through Bond University. 
it is a 38-hour course that anyone can undertake. But what transformed my view of dispute resolution was that I could engage in a different language and empower people to take responsibility for their own dispute and to take control of the outcomes, which was so new to me and so different, um, having practised as a family lawyer where people came to see me for legal advice on what the family law actually was and how it would apply to their situation, but then instruct me to go to court on their behalf to use the litigation process through the Federal Circuit Court or through the Family Court to ask a judge to decide on the outcome for the client. So um, that's why it was a light bulb moment. So you're saying the use of language and how you talk to someone was the turning point in how someone can get an outcome for their, their situation? Yes, because I learnt that mediation is a completely different process than litigation. Litigation uh, and the court is like hopping on a conveyor belt where the client hops on the conveyor belt with their lawyer but they um, don't have any control of the direction of the conveyor belt, the length of the conveyor belt or the speed of the conveyor belt. At the other end of the conveyor belt is a perfectly good judge who will make a very good decision. Uh, however, it's the process of getting to that trial where you're asking for the judge to make that decision that is um, long and often expensive. Mediation is uh, completely different. As the mediator, I do not decide what topics need to be resolved, nor am I a decision maker. So I have no control over the outcome of the decisions that are made by the clients themselves. The clients have the decision making. They are the ones that decide what needs to be sorted out in terms of property settlement or arrangements for the children or child support or spousal maintenance. And they are the ones that decide what is acceptable to them and their family. So the onus is back on them to make those decisions, not on me as the practitioner to make those decisions. So say I'm a client and I'm coming to you and I say to you, well, or, or my ex-husband and I, we're sitting in front of you, what happens if someone is bullying the other one in a mediation. So have you got the ability to say, no, look, that's not right, or you just let the two of them together come to an agreement? No, not at all. My role as the mediator is to level that playing field. So there's a lot of preparation that is done with each person before we all come together in the joint session of mediation. So in family law disputes, it's really important that we have an initial intake session with both parties separately to screen for violence, um, uh, drug and alcohol problems, mental health problems. And some of those questions that I have to ask 
uh, each client pers are very personal questions and they're a bit confronting for people. But I reassure them that it is to make sure that everyone's well-being and safety is protected through the mediation process and it's to understand what they've been living with and what the concerns are that they have uh, so that I can help them have a safe environment to be able to have honest and robust conversations between themselves. We also then have um, another session before we get to the joint session where we can go into much more detail about uh, what they would like to see resolved and how they see it being resolved and what options they've already considered in um, a way forward for them and their family. So those initial conversations um, are uh, really important to getting to know the clients, getting to understand what's important for them so that in the joint session, uh, one person doesn't dominate and everybody gets the opportunity to be heard and to have their say in a very safe and civilised way. So is mediation for everyone? Um, mediation is, um, in family law disputes, more often than not, um, a way forward, it just depends whether everybody is ready for mediation at the same time. So in my experience, there is one party that initiates the mediation as a dispute resolution way forward. And so then often I'll speak with the other party who may not have thought about mediation, may be suspicious because the other party has already suggested it and contacted us, might feel a little bit unsure about what the process is. So we will have a chat with them about mediation and invite them to participate in mediation. And at that point in time, they may not be ready for mediation, in which case we'll go back to the person that's initiated it and say, look, it isn't off the cards, it's not necessarily inappropriate, it's just that the other party is not ready yet at this point in time. doesn't mean in six months later or three months' time they're not ready for mediation, but right at this point in time they're not ready for mediation. The other example... Oh, yeah. sorry, because I was going to say, in a lot of cases, sometimes you've got to, in what I've seen, you've got to actually force someone at a particular stage to get to get organised or otherwise they, they won't ever face what's going on? Look, everybody is different. In my experience, most people do want to move past that very difficult time in their life of resolving uh, arrangements for the children and property settlement. But sometimes they just don't know what to do. They're almost paralysed with indecision. Yeah. So a call from us is sometimes a bit of a wake-up call and uh, we just give them an option of a different way forward that um, uh, leaves them in control of the situation. And if we do engage with them and we explain how mediation works and we explain that we are independent, that we don't represent either party um, and that we are neutral and that we're not a decision-maker, 
Um, a lot of parties uh, see this as a, a genuine opportunity to resolve matters and will then uh, take that opportunity up. So what's the, dif the difference um, between a private mediator and a court-appointed mediation? Well, a private mediator is paid privately by the parties and usually the parties share the cost of that. And if it's half a day, it could be $3,000. Each party pays $1,500 each plus GST. And that covers everything. If it's a court-appointed mediation, it might be that at a directions hearing or at a call-over at the Federal Circuit Court or the Family Court, um, the judge might offer to the representatives of the parties to consider mediation and to put on hold the litigation or to at least have the opportunity to um, engage in mediation while they're waiting for their case to uh, progress along that conveyor belt to get to a trial. And if it's offered by the court during the callover, then the parties still get the opportunity to choose who the mediator is and there's often a list available at the court, um, in the courtroom on that day. And sometimes the judge will allow you to have a short break in the and an adjournment of the hearing. They'll stand the matter down so that the uh, representatives can decide on the mediator. That is still shared in the costs between the parties equally and they get to choose who their mediator is. So it's a, a bit like a private mediation, but there's often the um, encouragement by the judge um, to engage in that process at that point in time. There is also mediation or family dispute resolution available in um, each of the states where one party is represented by legal aid or the Legal Services Commission. And in that situation, there's an order made to go to Family Dispute Resolution at the Legal Services Commission. And uh, for that, there isn't the opportunity to choose the mediator. Um, and it's a sort of a truncated um, mediation process and it's not necessarily using the um, facilitative method of mediation um, that is offered by private mediators. Um, if, we, if we just stop there, though, so can I, am I getting this right, that at some certain stage, even if we go through the court process, we might need a mediator. So why would we go there when we could start right there at the start and get rid of all of the, the animosity and the cost of going through the court system? Well, I think it comes down to um, confidence or knowing about mediation in the first place and I don't think a lot of people really understand what mediation is so they don't know where to look for a mediator and they don't know how to engage in mediation. The other thing is that um, they don't have the confidence in the mediation process and that might be that even their lawyers aren't as comfortable with mediation as they are with litigation. And that's because the status quo has been for so long that uh, if you go to see a lawyer, they will take your instructions and they will try to negotiate a settlement between the solicitor 
But if that doesn't work, then their next thought is to issue proceedings in the court rather than to mediate. And that's just because um, of the history of uh, lawyers and the way that they have uh, been trained and the way that they know how to negotiate. Sometimes proceedings are issued by lawyers because there isn't any engagement by the other side. And so by issuing those proceedings, um, it does make everyone get on that conveyor belt and start cooperating. But it doesn't mean that they can't then, uh, uh, in parallel, try mediation as well as the litigation process. So what makes a good mediator? Well, choosing um, the right mediator is really important. Um, there are a number of questions that I recommend to people to ask uh, mediators uh, when they're actually uh, looking to engage a mediator. And I actually have that checklist and I would be happy to make that available to uh, all of your clients and listeners. And that checklist really includes about asking the mediator about their style of mediation and um, that is how they mediate. Do they do intake sessions and screening sessions? Do they have initial consultations? Are they before the joint session or, or are they on the same day as the joint session of mediation? Is the mediator um, nationally accredited under the National Mediator Accreditation Standards or are they a retired judge or do they use um, a different uh, form of mediation like transformative, uh, transformative mediation or narrative mediation? Because they're all quite legitimate styles, but it's really important to know what process you're about to embark upon uh, to try and resolve your dispute. You need to have confidence in the process of that mediation because it's not so much the person or the mediator that's going to resolve the dispute it's the process that's going to resolve the dispute it's the mediation process that's the hero in helping people to move forward and pass their family law problems so can you explain to me what's the difference between transformative and narrative okay the narrative mediation style is storytelling. That's the, the easiest way to describe it. The mediator uh, engages with both parties in a way that the parties describe to each other and tell each other the story of where they're at and how they've got to be where they're at and unpicking the past. And it's uh, a very uh, holistic and therapeutic uh, form of mediation um, but it also does usually take a bit longer because um, the exploration of the past is more central to moving forward. Transformative mediation is a process where the mediator actually even says less in the mediation but just provides a very safe and calm environment with minimal engagement 
minimal asking of questions and certainly no suggestions or opinions being offered and to ask their own questions of each other and it doesn't have the same uh, agenda focus that the facilitative method of mediation involves. In your mind, which one of those two processes actually works better for an outcome? In my view, the facilitative method of mediation or model of mediation is uh, very future-focused and very outcome-focused. Which is the narrative one? No, that's the uh, facilitative method. Oh, so that's another one again, is it? Yeah, so there are three forms of mediation. And under the National Mediator Accreditation Standards, the facilitative model of mediation is probably the most common around Australia. And that is really outcome-focused. However, in my view, a really good mediator will incorporate some of the skills from the narrative mediation style and the transformative mediation style into the facilitative model of mediation to really use the best of all models but with a future focus and an outcome focus for the parties. Wow, this has been amazing. I did not realise that there were so many different types.